Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, right on the heels of our family holiday. Everyone got their hour back over the weekend. Please do not send me any complaints about the early sunsets. That's that's something that we do not um, hold ourselves accountable. I am joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, as always, and my friend and colleague at The Athletic, Chris Vanini. Uh, They will be joining me this week to talk about the biggest storylines in college football in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples show and friends five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, uh, we're just the best and we'd like to make an immediate impact. So please rate, review, subscribe, all those things. If you enjoy us and hello friends, we are in week 11, 10, 11, which week are we at? 11, 11. Yeah. Don't, wow. don't sell me short. I'm ready. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm counting. He's got the countdown going. Every time I say something like that to Chris, he gets mad because he is just like, well, then all we'll have to talk about in the off season is, is realignment and playoff expansion, but we're doing that now anyway. So. Yeah. So I like, the fo- I, lo- I like football happening. I guess we're just different. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you, Chris. Like I like the act, you know, the sport, that we, you know, the actual sport, what happens between the chalk. I love that and talking about it. And I just, I'm committed, especially now doing tape. Don't lie. The podcast I'm committed now to just, I don't care what's going on in terms of who's going where, who's getting hired. I'm still just going to talk about football with people. That's all. That's what I'm doing. That's what I, that's what I'm here for. I envy you. (laughs) It's all Chris's job right now is who's going where and who's, who's coaching where, Uh, Let's start with someone who is not moving, someone who is staying. And I think this came as a bit of surprise to to a lot of people on Monday. Nebraska announces that Scott Frost is coming back for 2022. His team is currently three and seven. They are coming off a close loss, which is basically what they have. Their resume this year is is they played top 10 teams well. Um, They made this. Just to rehash, like they, they kind of make the same mistakes every game. The defense plays really well. Um, you know, there's always like an offense or special teams disaster. I believe the offensive and special team mistakes have accounted for 27 points this season. They've lost a bunch of one score games. Anyway, Trev Alberts, athletic director, comes out and says Scott Frost is staying with a restructured contract. And then afterwards, we find out as well that four assistants have been fired. I believe all on the offensive side of the ball and that's where we are, but this was a surprise. And Chris, I'd love to get your first reaction to this because as someone who tracks hot seats and and what jobs might open, I mean, this is something we've been talking about for, for the full year. Yeah. I mean, literally since that first game, when they lost to Illinois, everybody had fired Scott Frost, you know, then and there because he kept losing to teams like Illinois and Purdue in Minnesota, and he's still losing to Illinois, Purdue, and Minnesota, but he's playing close with Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, and he has a $20 million buyout, so those close losses were enough for him to keep his job, Um, and he's basically getting the Jim Harbaugh treatment, which is you'll take less money next year and a lower buyout, and we'll let you come back, but you got to change some 
make some changes to your staff. Jim Harbaugh did the same thing. And it's worked for Michigan. They're a top 10 team right now at, at half the price. Uh, but they were also not nearly as down as Nebraska is at four straight losing seasons. Um, I, I, I'm not surprised in the end, but, you know, I, I'm curious if they did stuff like kick the tires on Matt Campbell and see what other options are out there. Because otherwise, you know, these things typically do not work out four straight losing seasons to bring a guy back. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think, uh, uh, Nicole, because especially – because Chris related it to, to, to Michigan, like what, like what you, cause you texted me yesterday and you were like, can't believe they did it this early. And I'm like, what? So like, what do you think? Cause I, I've well, got, I, I have a laundry list of things that I think, and I don't want to, I don't want to derail everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to hear the laundry list in a second, but my, my reaction to the timing was he still have two games left to play. I mean, they, they're looking at a potential three and nine season, that they're doing this. And the only reason I can think of to do it right now is has to be the early signing period. Right. I mean, instead of waiting three weeks from now to say you're, you know, giving him the vote of confidence and he's coming back is got to be for recruiting. And then again, to maybe get a jump on some assistance and, you know, overhaul that. I mean, the way that they restructured the contract and getting these assistants off the books too. I believe they're going to have what almost three million dollars to hire a new offensive coordinator and, and to revamp that side of the staff. But I don't understand why you do it now. I, I just feel like everything is creeping up, and everyone's saying it's for the early signing period. And I get that logistically, it would help to have more of a buffer between now and then. But I just think these these all end up being excuses to make changes and kind of essentially just give up on the rest of the season. That's where I say, I'm surprised they did it now. He didn't even wait until the end of the season for Trev Alberts to finish his evaluation. I mean, he was supposed to be evaluating Scott Frost. And I guess it's essentially by default. Now it's a two year evaluation if you're giving him next season as well. But I just, I don't like doing it now. I mean, we've seen a bunch of assistant coach firings in the last week, obviously a lot of coaches on the hot seat in Washington, Florida, needing to make changes, needing to do something try to save their job but it's the timing of of all of this that that is bothering me i mean it's it's the beginning of november there's still games left on the schedule and chris i know you wrote about this but like what the the message that that sends to the players on these teams is is you're giving up you're giving up the rest of the season well i i'm on frost i'm not surprised they announced it now they're three and seven so they're not going to a bowl game so you kind of you're basically kind of done. I am surprised they fired four assistant coaches with two weeks left. You're not getting or two games left. You're not getting much of a head start on anything because anybody you want to hire is currently in a job. And those coaches that you fired aren't getting a head start on jobs because there are not jobs open for them to get a head start on. This isn't like head coaches where you have a reason to get a head start. Assistants got to wait for head coaches to be in place before they do these kinds of things. But yeah, overall, that, that was my reaction to all the news over the weekend and especially the Nebraskan. It's like, w- w- imagine being Adrian Martinez right now and you just lost your offensive coordinator and your quarterback's coach and you still got two games to play. Like like that, that move felt like we're just telling the fans who might be upset, the people who wanted Scott Frost gone, hey, we hear you, we're doing something. And, and the players are the ones that take the brunt of it. We've had nine coaching firings already. One of them was COVID related, but you know, 
and you've got the TCU AD admitting like, hey, we had to do this because of recruiting. Like we're all focused on the next crop of players. We're focused on pleasing the fans that uh, are, that want us to do something. And the, the actual players on the current teams are the ones kind of being forgotten in all of this. Yeah, I, the thing for me, so to kick it off, it, it's and I, I will say this, Nebraska is never going to recruit the way Ohio State does. They're not going to recruit the way that Michigan does, but they are last in the Big Ten in recruiting right now. I don't think this helps, but I think it does at least solidify this idea that our guy's going to, the guy that I'm signing with is going to still be there, at least in theory. He can tell that, he can sell that. That doesn't mean it's going to be the case because they, as you mentioned, Chris, lower buyout. <laughs> so if we have to get rid of you, it's a lot cheaper for us to get rid of you. Um, but so you do that part, right? And you, you try to figure out what happens from a recruiting standpoint. Obviously, we know about the, what is it, Luke McCaffrey, Wandell Robinson, guys who have left the program. So maybe there is there are issues with respect to people on that offensive, co- on that staff. So who knows? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on in that building, but perhaps they've, they've shaken it up in a way that's going to bring in something that makes the players feel more comfortable. And I think that, and, and Chris, you can speak more to this with respect to Michigan State, right, where Mel Tucker coming in fixed things that nobody ever saw. He 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 corrected issues between players and coaching staff that people didn't even know existed. That, does does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, he changed the culture in a lot of ways, and there was a lot of player turnover. Like like everybody's talked about all the transfers he's brought sure. in, a lot of players have left. And it wasn't it like it was like 30 something. Yeah. And and, that huge, the mega class they had after the playoff season, all those guys, whether it was getting in trouble or opting to leave, all that just. And I feel like Mel Tucker has kind of smoothed over that problem uh, from a culture standpoint. And so maybe depending on who Scott Frost brings in, they're able to do that same thing. Right. And so, well, but here, here's a question, Felder. Does, this new assistance, you know, whatever that might be, is that going to solve the, the, the way that they were losing games? I mean, they were losing games off of bad mistakes. So that's the literally, this is my, that's my third bullet point here. And because I'm tired of the Scott Frost um, and I've been, I've given him hell for this. It's like, we're watching the same movie. Yeah, man. But guess what? You're supposed to be the freaking Steven Spielberg of this movie. (laughs) So all the, like, do you want to be Steven Spielberg or do you want to be M. Night Shyamalan, right? You have one really good movie. You have a, not one, that's not true. He has a couple really good movies and then all the other movies that you make do all the same things the wrong way. Or do you want to fix it? And he, he has, that's a Scott Frost problem, but that's a, a, and I think that bringing in people that are addicted to detail is important. People that are addicted, whether it's special teams or it's it's small procedural things. I I'll never forget. We I played for I, when I was at UNC. We had an offensive coordinator, Gary Tranquil, and he would stop down practice completely when guys would false start, when guys would line up wrong. If you're aiming, I, I'll never forget getting yelled at because he's a little short guy. Used to throw his hat on the ground and get mad at everyone, and. We had a play called Sucker, and they ran Sucker, and I was on scout team, and once they ran Sucker the first time, I knew what the play was. 
And then I was like, okay, I know what this is. I'll carry the guy up the field and I'll, I'll play defense. And he, I did it two times. And then he goes, stops. Everyone stop. Blue his whistle. Everybody stop. And that's what I mean by addicted to detail, right? He's recognizing a detail that's, that's a false front. And he threw his hat down, said, you come over here to me. And then he dressed me down. And it was about their defense isn't going to do that because their defense hasn't seen this play three times. So they're not going to do that. And I think for Frost to bring in people who recognize detail is going to be remarkably important because where they're failing are the details. And, and this is what um, – what's his name? Trev, Trev Albert? Is that the name of the – Trev Alberts. Yeah. Trev Alberts? Yeah. So he's recognizing incremental improvement. The Illinois game was a disaster. And the fact that you had to throw out your game plan after the first series because – they played a defense that you weren't prepared for. That's insane. That they that they've <laughs> yes. run plenty of times in in Bielema's career. It's and they they played cover two with a three man front and two man front. Like, come on, man. Well, Just but this is the guys. This is part of the problem, right? It's not necessarily that they can't beat Ohio State. It's they they're not beating Illinois, right? And so what I'm the, the th- what I'm getting to is, but we do see incremental improvement. We're seeing that incremental improvement, which brings me to my next bullet point, which is. The problem is recruiting, but the bigger problem is going to come in. I think they are having a a massive culture change, and I think that's a positive thing for Scott Frost. They are changing from a cultural standpoint. They are getting better. They understand how to play games. They still don't know how to win games. So in theory, next year, they should win a couple more of these close games. They should get what Purdue's got, right, that that upsets over a couple of big teams. They should get to that, and they should beat teams that they should beat. The problem becomes that next wave. I'm not worried about 2022, Nebraska, but 2023 with a bunch of brand new guys. When you don't have Adrian Martinez, when you don't have Jojo Doman, when you don't have Cam Britt Taylor, when you don't have these guys, what does that look like? Because those guys are good and they can play. But you're not recruiting at a level that's going to replace those guys. Right. So what is your goal? That's the question that I have more than anything. I don't mind the extension. I, I like the extension. I, I like the incremental improvement. I like all those things. But if you're not replacing your pieces, that's the problem. That's where I, that's the problem to me where you're not replacing your pieces. So who, who is, I mean, the three biggest, most high-profile recruits that they've had over the in the Scott Frost era are what? Tajon Lindsey, he's at Oregon State. Luke McCaffrey, where's Luke McCaffrey at? I don't know. He's Luke at Ry- uh, Rice or Northern Colorado. I don't remember which one went way. One, so yeah, one of them's with their dad. Yeah. So you, so you don't know where he is either. <laughs> and and Wandell Robinson. I was I was at Bleacher. Was that was Wandell? Wandell and Wandell. I was at. I still think I'm still at Blue Report. We did a video with him where he was going to go to get. Now, guess what? He went back home. So yeah. that's the part for me that's. That's the hard part for me is the replacement value because they're not setting themselves up to be Wisconsin. If this was, if they were setting up to be a Wisconsin or setting themselves up to be Arkansas, which is what Sam Pittman is doing, you're we're a team that is hey, we pack it in and we punch and we hit hard and we just do a lot of sound defensive things and we're very comfortable with who we are offensively. If that was what they were trying to set up to do or that had been Scott Frost's identity 
all the long. Like if Scott Frost was Paul Christ, I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. They're gonna have they're they'll have a down year and then they'll get back up. But this is it feels like they're moving forward, but I wonder what it looks like in two years if they have to take another step back. That's where when Trev Everett said in the statement, Scott has laid out a vision. I would love to know what that vision is because Sam Pittman has an identity at Arkansas. Paul Chris has an identity at Wisconsin. Kirk Ferentz has an identity, even if you don't like that offensive style. You know what they're doing. We don't know what Nebraska is doing. That was my first thought watching them against Illinois was that they're, you know, recruiting has been pretty good in the past. Like their team talent level is like top 25, but they just look slow. Yep. And it's not even it's not even necessarily the recruiting ranking talent. It's the evaluation of that talent. And does a whole new offensive staff change that when you're only going to have one year to try to save your job? I don't know, because they're going to have to work with the pieces that they have or go crazy into the transfer portal. Yeah, we'll have to see what we'll have to see exactly what that vision is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out and, and where where they go with the with the with the money that they now have from a slightly restructured uh, contract for Scott Frost and new offensive coaches, you know another thing. I was, Monday was actually pretty newsy, so there's a few other things I want to get to um, in terms of news of the day before we get into a couple of games that we're looking forward to this weekend. And Chris, I'll start with you. So so Texas Tech announced that they've hired Baylor assistant coach Joey McGuire. And this was really early. This is obviously very early in November. Talk all we want about early signing period. But I, I guess I wonder why a program fired a coach midseason to get an assistant coach somewhere else that you probably would have been able to get at the end of the season. Well, I think you did it because you thought you were going to be able to get Jeff Trailer, and you were worried about potential other jobs opening up and you wanted to get a head start on him. Matt, Matt Wells was five and three when he got fired and they blew a game against, I think it was Kansas state. They were up 14 and they yeah. really could have been six and two. And, but, but there had been rumblings around the whole time that people wanted Matt Wells out. They wanted some other guy in whoever that is. So they make this move. They don't get Jeff trailer who signs a 10 year deal at UTSA with a huge buyout. So yeah. where do you go from there? You, you go for another guy. I mean, Jeff Trailer is a former Texas high school coach who's been recruiting well because of that. So where do you go from there? You go to Joey McGuire, who's another former Texas high school coach who is beloved in the state. I live in Texas. Joey McGuire is beloved in the state. And the biggest issue with getting uh, – the biggest issue with Texas Tech is getting players out to Lubbock, which is yeah. far away. And so It's, Joey hard, Mc- it's hard to literally – like literally, it's hard to get them there. Yes, Yes, and, and they always make the case, hey, we have amazing facilities. We just have to get the kids to campus. Joey McGuire is going to convince high school coaches to tell players to go check out Texas Tech. Now, as for the timing, yeah, they're, they're, Texas Tech is still making a bowl game. Sonny Cumbie is the interim head coach. So Joey McGuire is here. Now he's offering players and talking to recruits. So they basically got two head coaches going on at the same time. So you, you couldn't do this if you got Alex Grinch or somebody else. I mean, like you wouldn't be able there, – there's got to be a – finite number of guys who would have been able to leave their team at this point too right probably yeah i mean he's yeah. not a coordinator he's the outside linebackers coach at baylor right. so it's not he, as big of a loss yeah he came on as what a tight ends coach and so, then yeah then shifted over like he is like he because of what he was able to do at cedar hill he is an ambassador i don't i'll be quite honest, i don't know if he can coach at all don't know i have no clue if he can coach at all He's he he is 
best case scenario, and this is a really good best case scenario. He's Dabo Swinney, right? A guy who has not really been, has not been a coordinator, has great, is very good when it comes to going out on the road from a recruiting standpoint, has a lot of relationships within the space. And so this is going to be really interesting to see how this works, but I agree with you, Nicole, like the, the timeline has shifted. The timeline has changed, but we're also living in a time where every people are, people are more now more than ever. People are willing to break the mold. They're willing to break format and try stuff. They're trying something that's going to, they feel like is going to give them a leg up because being good at football matters that much. It matters that much to your bottom line. It matters that much to applications to your school. Like you're, they like it matters that much that we'll try something different. Okay, we can't get trailer. He's trailer. He's super. Guess what? He's he just got a, an amazing new deal, and he's super com- committed to his program that is currently undefeated. So yeah, we can't get him. Okay, you know what? Let's get a guy that's kind of like him as you mentioned, Chris, and we'll do that. And then we'll see what happens with that. And we're going to try because we need, and I do think, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's fully Wang when they talk about that early signing period. I think that's for real because if you don't sign your kids in that, what is it? Second, third week of December. If you don't sign, if you don't sign them, then you're not signing nobody. You yeah, it's a real it's, problem. It, it sets you back, obviously, a full class. I mean, this is what, what we've seen happen so many times with, with new coaches. And it, we've also seen changes that have happened after the which I think it's period, total which, garbage. I think it's total garbage BS. Yeah. But so, no, I, I completely agree that that's a real thing. I just think it's it's pushing everything up really, really, really early now. And, and, and I'm with you guys, because when you're a place like Texas tech, I mean, we have this conversation every year around, you know, the triple option coaches, right. About places like, like in Illinois, could they have gone for Jeff Munkin and why that would have been, why it would have worked and and interesting places to try different schemes, different types of coaches, different paths, whatever it might be when you want to get a little creative. So I think that's pretty interesting. Another thing that happened on Monday was Jimmy Lake was suspended without pay for the next game, Arizona state for his sideline incident where he punched a player and uh, Felder, I want to hear your thoughts on, on that whole ordeal. And, and, and obviously also, you know, being suspended for a game without pay, the athletic director said in a statement, while we do not believe that his actions were intentional or deliberate, we can have no tolerance for a coach interacting with a student in the manner coach Lake did. So you can, anyone listening who hasn't seen the video, you can go find it. Um, it's not great. It's it's really not good. Yeah, I um I think it's bad. It's not good that he, he kind of took the swipe at the guy. Watching the whole video from the play on the sideline to him to his interaction with the player, it kind of changed it from the small clip of just him going at the player. And clearly he's running down the sidelines. He runs down the sideline there so I want to get this guy's – what is his name? Um, Rupe Ru- – Very hard to pronounce. Yeah, I <laughs> – thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't want to try and get it wrong. Yeah, that – so I'm, I'm in this – I'm in the same – Washington football roster. You know what? College, college press box be my friend. I'll talk while I find this. Um, no, but I think the big thing was it was a bonehead play. 
in terms of trying to take the guy down out of bounds, trying to hit the guy out of bounds. And they are a team that can't afford, they can't afford bonehead plays. And I think he knows it. They know it. And, uh, and they're living. There it is. I got it right here. He's a freshman. He's a freshman linebacker from Albert from, from Washington. He's getting time. It's good for him. And let me see. What do we got here? I'm going to, I'm going for it. Wuperake Fuave. And so he, the, the thing, like, it's not okay. Have, have I had that done to me before? Yes. Is it good? Is it something that I would want done to my kid? Absolutely not. Would I be upset if a coach did it to my kid? Absolutely. Do I also see and recognize what was going on when you look at the greater context of the play and of the season? Yes. I'm not excusing it at all. What I am saying is that I don't know. Like, I'm not okay with it. I think that you know what? This remind this is a thing that it's my dad was here this last week. This reminds me of something that I was talking about with my dad a lot. And it's just times are di- everything, time is different. If a, if Lloyd Carr had done this, nobody would have batted an eye, right? Yep. So it's different times. Well, I, 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 I think I, think of think of Tom Izzo. We you know basketball season's about to get underway, and I feel like we do this every year, right? Where Tom Izzo grabs a player, like does right. something that and it's know. not. It's not an. There's no excuse for it. It's not okay. It's not better or good. You. It's simply put. When I think about it from a parenting standpoint, it's there are things that happen to you that you were fine with or that you thought were standard practice. And it's 2021. You can't do that stuff anymore. And I appreciate Washington stepping up front. I appreciate, you know what I also appreciate? Making it an unpaid suspension. I mean, this guy pushed a kid and he's he's getting punished harder than police officers do for killing someone. And so he's not on paid leave or paid suspension. He's on an unpaid, he's, this is an unpaid week. It's not going to hurt his pockets. He's going to be fine. But yeah, if this is this isn't a thing we don't coach like this anymore. And you can't do this anymore. And you can't do that. And we're all for the better for it. Cuz you know what we have to do? It's a thing I tell my 3-year-old all the time. Use your words. And there's a difference between separating guys like this, hugging a guy up like that, and the physical the punch and the push. You can't yes, do that. Exactly. There there's a difference between a, 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 a shove and a push, essentially. And yeah. he had already largely gotten that guy out of the situation. And then he, I don't know if he hit him with his hand, hit him with his play sheet or whatever. Sure. Uh, He's, that's why I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. at the point where I'm calling it a punch. It's, I yeah, am, he is, it was not a punch. He didn't punch the kid. What he did do was wait, strike him, move, strike him and move him. And then obviously the push. I also recognize. I also think, but the other part I think about is, despite what Jimmy like wants to say, this is a rivalry game, and if you that Oregon kid on their side, like that's a that could be a problem on their sideline with a guy talking. Just 
I don't know. And I guess maybe this is the player part of it for me or the, like the, the fighter part of it for me. Like that's you're, you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. but I just, there, There's ways to get out of that situation without there's well, wait, well, I guess that's the part for me is ways for who, because I'm thinking about it from the Oregon player standpoint where you're in hostile territory but you're not afraid and you are going to talk that talk and you're, you're like, and this is something that, and I'll admit it. I understand that I'm, I live in a completely different, I have lived in a completely different space than both of you all. And, and from a different, like a different, like different world in that regard, because I, I, we've had guys get tackled on the sidelines and all that. And when, when someone from Florida state or from NC state or from someone from wake forest or someone gets tackled to our sideline, the the whole part the whole thing that you're doing is just you're talking trash to them and you're you're letting them know that hey buddy you're in the wrong world and if you get a little shove in you get a shove in and so i think that that organ player did what he could do which is he bucks back and he's ready to rock he's he's he he's there's fight or flight and for most of these guys the default is fight and i think that's a big part of it that I don't think most people understand because most people haven't been in that a scenario like that because most people's default is flight. So, so wait, are you saying, are you saying it's the, the, the little scuffle between them? Like that's fine and normal. And Jimmy like, doesn't need to be getting involved or. No, I, I, I think he has to get involved. I think he got involved the wrong way. Yeah. I think he got involved the wrong way. I think that that's, that's scuff- what I meant with like, there's other ways to get out of that situation yeah, for it to I, end. Because everybody that's around that is like, our boy's about to give you the business. Or we're gonna, if he doesn't give it to you, we're going to give it to you. And Jimmy Lake was like, hey, man, we can't afford these type of mistakes. What are we going to do? Give them free yards? And so that's the part for me where I just kind of, at least in theory, like I think about just if you made a tackle on the op- opposing team sideline, you've got guys yelling at you. You've got all this going. So you have to stand as tall and stand as strong as you can. Jimmy like recognizes that. And then obviously the guy who hit him late also understands. Oh no, I now have, I've got all my, it's, I've got all my boys with me. My boys are all over here. We've all been at a bar where somebody's got all their boys with them and you got, and that's what that is. So you feel a little stronger, a little tougher. you stand up taller, you puff your chest out. And Jimmy Lake, it seemed to me at least, was, and he didn't do it the right way. Again, I want to keep reiterating that. Jim, he didn't do it the right way, but the way that you have to do that is you have to hug up your player and get him out. Not push, not strike. You have to hug him and get him out. We see guys, right. we see this every single week, right? How many times have we seen somebody hug Jamie, grab, grab up Jamie Skowski, James Skowski, excuse me, James Skowski, and get him out of a thing? Because he's a hothead and he wants to, right. he's like, I'm down to fight. Yeah. And that's yeah. the, di- to me, that's the difference is it's th- how you do it because you have to look, my dad was an assistant principal for years and he couldn't just go around pushing kids and, and one hand striking them to get them out of the way. You have to hug them up and you have to move them. And that's, th- that's where to me, at least Jimmy like failed. I think his energy was right. I think he understood the situation. I think he knew that removing 
I don't care if you want to call him the protagonist or the antagonist or the aggressor or whatever. He knew he had to get him out of the space. He just didn't do it the right way. That's that's where I stand on it. But I do appreciate that Washington is saying, putting their foot down and saying, absolutely not. And I think about it as a parent, like, if my kid hits another kid, I have to pick her up, remove her from the situation and let her know we can't hit. Yes, growing up, your dad fought a lot. You, we, It's 2021. You can't do that. It's the same as my dad looking at me and being like, you don't, you, I don't yell at my kid. You can't yell. It's 2021. Kids don't get yelled at. Kids get talked to. And I think that's just, that's a different space. We've moved, we've progressed forward as a society to where we don't have to hit, yell. We don't have to do any of those things. We could meet people on their actual level. So that's my long-winded end around way to saying, I understand what he was doing. He did it the wrong way. He's suffering the consequences of it and he'll go from there. Yeah. And again, so Jimmy Lake will not be coaching against Arizona state this weekend and he will not be paid. Um, he is on an unpaid leave of absence. And I, I agree that I think the the statement from athletic director, Jen Cohen was, was really fair about, you know, not, not thinking it was intentional and, and that there was malicious intent right. behind this, Bingo. but that it the was word, unacceptable. The, the word that I could have just said and ended that five minutes of me rambling wildly. Yeah. I, I could have just said, I don't think he did it with malicious intent. He just did it the wrong way. Could have just, yep. that, well, that's, that's what I'm here I for. I'm here. Said. I'm here to give you words. That's, this is our friendship. I'll give you the word that you were talking about. Let's move on. Uh, we, we started this last week um, and sadly it's come to an end. It was our weekly wake check-in. We were <laughs> going to do that every week until they were no longer undefeated and they are now no, no longer undefeated. Uh, lost to North Carolina, 58-55. Actually, honestly, one of the most entertaining games of the year. It was a delight. Um, I still love watching Sam Harbin. We'll still be watching this team, but um, they're no longer. on it. Wow. Well, that was. Not betting the game. I, um, I, this, I, this is the thing that I do that's stupid sometimes. You might be the beneficiary of it soon. But I said I guarantee both quarterbacks throw interceptions, and then Sam Howell doesn't throw an interception, so I have to pay. I paid our producer. For college sports now, I just gave him a hundred bucks. Mm, well, uh, how about the how about this from Sam Hartman? Over two games against US, UNC, he has nine hundred seven total yards, twelve Jeez. touchdowns, and he's zero and two. Yeah, the, the, last year was Last year, North Carolina gave up the most points. Crazy. The most points that it had ever allowed in a win was last year against Wake Forest, fifty three. They broke that record this year. By allowing 55 <laughs> points. And by the way, this was a non-conference game. Yes. L- last year, last year North Carolina played Notre Dame and Wake Forest in back-to-back weeks, and they were both conference games. This year, they play them in back-to-back weeks. They're both non-conference games. Just a whole lot of weirdness around Wake uh, and North there, Carolina. There really was. Um, and, you know, it's it's not going to be, um, you know, a silver lining, but Sam Hartman still in the Wake Forest bachelor pipeline for whenever that needs to come to him. And they can still win. It, it is, again, this wasn't a conference loss. They're still undefeated in ACC play. So they're still, oh, yeah. they'll still has, has not impacted the, their ability to win the conference. No, it doesn't. But the only thing it has impacted is the ACC playoff chances because they needed to be, yes. they needed to be perfect. To have a you might want to expand that playoff to 12. If you're Jim. Yeah, Cole. they, they, they may need to consider that. Um, all right, let's just let's hit a couple um, three thoughts on the three big games of the week and we can each take one. Um, and 
Chris, let me get your thoughts on, on Oklahoma and Baylor. And, and really, I know there, there's been, it's a little bit less exciting now that Baylor lost last week, but you know, I still think that this is a team that's, that's tough. That's physical. Um, it should be a pretty good test for uh, Caleb Williams. Yeah. I mean, defensively Baylor has been really strong. The, the loss to um, TCU last week was surprising. I mean, Jan, Chandler Morris, son of Chad Morris has, has one of the big, biggest days in TCU history with Jerry Killis, their head coach. And they, they, they score the upset there, but um, this could, <laughs> this could be a, a lot of points. Baylor's rushing offense has been really strong. Oklahoma, we haven't seen them in a week, and that honestly probably helped their case more than any game they've played this year because we didn't have to see them struggling with Kansas or somebody like that. We'll see where they are in the rankings tonight, if they jump somebody or if they don't. But, um, yeah, this could – I mean, there's there's only, what, two games left. Baylor needs to win this if they want any chance of getting back into the Big 12 picture. Otherwise, we might get back-to-back bedlams. But, um, yeah, I, I'm curious, Caleb Williams coming off a bye for the first time and see if they kind of get things under control. Okay, what do you – yeah, go ahead. Well, I wanted to see – I want to just hit these games quick before you get into our flavor of the week, which I think is new for Chris. I don't think Chris has been here for, for that segment. Um, but so, Felder, I know you want to talk about him a little later too, but Georgia-Tennessee thoughts? I mean, I think that's going to be – yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I think if Tennessee stays true to who they are, they either keep play a tight game with a chance to win late, or you get blown up um, exquisitely. So we'll see. They're super Tennessee, super aggressive. They do, do not care. They let it all hang out, and I like that for them. They had one of my favorite plays of the entire year um, when they ran quads with a wing, and it's basically five men to one side. And Kentucky, Kentucky. The way they beat Kentucky was amazing. And I think against Georgia, they have an opportunity to do. Um, it's not going to be easy. The margins are going to be thin. So we'll get to see what, what Tennessee's really made out of. And more importantly, we'll see what Heupel's made out of because he doesn't strike me as a coach that's going to change his game uh, just to, to, to make the final score look good. Yeah, I think I, I've been talking myself into that one for weeks as I think an actual challenge for Georgia. Um, where they need know, a challenge, though. They, they know sh- that, that's why I've been like staring at the calendar trying to figure this out. But I, I do think that this is a team that can do it offensively. Tennessee need- scored Tennessee scored 45 points on 47 plays against Kentucky. Georgia has allowed 59 points in nine games. Yeah, well. I, I, I just want for me, and this is something I think about all the time, and I've thought about this a lot, like going back to like proto like to going back not proto, like going back to Nick say like Saban from 20 10 20, 2000 from Saban from 2008 to, to 2014 and nobody challenged him offensively and then they get into these games I don't care if it's Utah Clemson even South Carolina in the 2010 season when you're not if you haven't been challenged up until now you don't know what it looks like and so I'm excited for Georgia to see a team that challenges them because I don't think it seems like Florida's brain is just completely broken. And so the cocktail party was, was a disaster. And so now this is the opportunity for them to be challenged. Yep. I, I completely agree. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of talk on this feed about what's uh, the disaster at Florida. So we don't need to go further into that. I mean, the third game that I've been circling and looking forward to is, is Michigan Penn state. So I'll just, I'll hit on that briefly. I mean, I think, you know, Michigan was one of the few teams that I think played well last weekend. Everyone else, it was kind of, you know, ugly wins, close calls, a lot of different things. And for, for them, it was, 
it was a good bounce back, I think, after, you know, losing the way that they did to Michigan State. Sure. And and Penn State is, I don't think they're as good as they were at the beginning of the year, but I don't think they're nearly as bad as they were against Illinois. Um, and I think that this is obviously an important game for Michigan to stay alive in the Big Ten race. And also just, again, prove that they that they can win games against good teams, which is, This is you know, a bad spot. <laughs> yeah, it is. This, this is, for Penn State, this is... This is the game they want to play. Yeah. Like if, if Penn State had to pick between the other two guys, the other two dudes in the Big Ten East, they, they're, they're pick, they'll pick Michigan 10 times out of 10. Am I wrong, Vinny? Am I wrong? Uh, no, I mean, other than – I mean, Franklin's had a pretty good run against Harbaugh, I think, outside of that one blowout loss in Sure, but if you – in, in 2021, if you're, if you're Penn State – with the team that you have, and you, it's the in the choices, it's ABC. It's Michigan, right. Michigan State, Ohio State. You're picking Michigan every single time. Yeah, you did. They're they're not explosive. Michigan is not. Go. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a slow. You got to move down the field type of game, and Penn State is much more suited to do that. Yeah, and Penn State doesn't really run the ball anyway, right? Like if you think right. about like the 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 pressure that Michigan's front gets, whatever. I mean, Sean Clifford, John Dotson will still be able to to do things. So I, th- I think that's going to be really interesting. I mean, we've been yeah. looking for the back half of the season to get these types of games in, in the big 10 East. So super excited, you know, obviously between that and, uh, and then, you know, you've got Michigan state, Ohio state coming up and, and the game and all that. So, um, you know, we're certainly looking at a possibility where, where the big 10 champ is, is beat up and has two losses and we can get into the playoff implications of all of that later. Sure. Um, but let's get to our flavor of the week segment. And so Chris, this is uh, one of our new segments. We talk about what we are cooking or planning to cook and also a team that is our flavor of the week. That's someone we like. And this week, I'm going to let you go first, Felder, because I think yeah. we have similar topics and I will need your advice once you. Okay. So I listen, my flavor of the week is everything. It's everything. And basically it's, it's stock. So put everything in your stock. Celery, onions, garlic, carrots, broccoli, cauliflower. And the best part, I cooked the turkey this week, so I get to put a turkey carcass into my stock, a smoked turkey carcass into my stock to beef up that flavor, get break down that collagen, and we're going to be living that life. I put bourbon in it sometimes. Sometimes I put a little wine. I'm doing stock. I Homemade stock, it takes 15 minutes to get a stock pot ready you let it cook down for the day, then you put it in your mason jars, and now you've got homemade flavor directly into your meals instead of box Swanson's chicken broth. So I'm just going to say, put that out there. Um, and my flavor of the week, like I'm going with Cincinnati's defense. Um, they're everything to me. I love the way that they play. I love that this weekend, or last weekend, excuse me, their offense essentially peed down their leg a quarterback sneak where they fumble the football and Hard give them the ball. Hard I mean, it was, it was, it was specific per- personally found it to be pathetic, ridiculous, insane. It was the two plays that I think are, have been the worst this football season of showing complete ineptitude are the fumble inside your own five yard line from Cincinnati on the, on a, on a chance to close out the game. And, Going back to game one, and this brings us back to Georgia. 
or excuse me, not to Georgia. This is after the after we saw that Clemson's not that good. Who did they play after that? Where they fumbled into they they fumbled into a safety. Georgia Tech and Clemson, Georgia Tech, where you're watching Braden Galloway, his he's standing inside the letters in the end zone because he can't get a push. Anyways, point being here, I love Cincinnati's defense, a defense with back against the wall. They can't give they don't want to give up a touchdown, but they certainly can't give up a two point conversion. And they just showed up. That's that's stock right there for you. It just shows up. It shows up. It's not a thing that you think about. It's not a thing enough people think about. But when it shows up for you, whether it's in your dressing or stuffing, depending on what you call it, it's in your gravy. It's what you need. I I put a little in the mashed potatoes. That defense shows up just like stock shows up. So I'm not saying I'm man, I don't think there's anybody that plays man to man defense the way that, that Cincinnati does. I love the way they play. So shout out to all those guys out there up there playing playing ball. All right, so my flavor of the week is also Thanksgiving themed because we we're talking about this before the show. Uh, Friendsgiving is sneaking up on me. I've got one on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It is very early. I mean, I, I guess I, I don't early. know. I mean, it feels early. No, I mean, maybe I'm just the time is flying overall and it's just hard for me to to keep track of that. But I did my first turkeys last mm-hmm. year. I did two. I did a Friendsgiving one. And I did the one at home. So my friends assumed that I will do it again, which I'm, I'm happy to do. I just need to make sure I get all my get all my supplies. I started defrosting last night. Um, and so I, I take a lot of pride in being the person to do the turkey now that I've done it because I was very intimidated by it overall. And I, I think that for me, that's the flavor of the week because it's such an important piece of the Thanksgiving meal. But yeah. everyone gets so excited about all these fancy side dishes fancy Mm -hmm. desserts and everyone, you know, because again, those are easier to do and people can have their specialties that they are known for. So everyone gets excited for them. And, you know, there's just not enough respect put on the turkey. Yeah. Put some respect on its name. You take for granted that the turkey is going to be good and moist and flavorful. And you know what? Purdue is much like this too, because no one starts the season by being like, oh yeah, Purdue, Purdue's, you know, a hot team, a trendy team to talk about. Like people don't do that. They're, they're, they're mascot, their school ethos. Like they're not that kind of a place. And you know what? They are reliable. They're reliable when they play top five teams. Aiden O'Connell, very fun to watch. In, insane performance by him. David Bell, terrific. Love George Karloftis, best player. Uh, that people don't think about defensively in the country. And they just, they do what they need to do. And we take for granted that Purdue is going to do stuff like this. Mel Tucker knew they could do stuff like this, talked about it all week, and they still upset Michigan State. But I just think, you know, a lot of people don't, we, we all get, we all get distracted by the sexier side dishes at Thanksgiving. And we do the same thing in college football. And you know what? Sometimes just a good Purdue team in in the moment, because maybe they're not good all the time, but in the moment it just hits like a really good Turkey. And there's there, I, I take a lot of pride in my Turkey and I take a lot of pride in Purdue when they win these games. I, I dig it. I I'll be, I'll be honest. I think Purdue's incredibly sexy. I think that's why they are able to win. Well, they're, but I think they're I seductive. Think, yes, but I don't think other people would describe it this way. That's like, they're, they're just, so they just are college football, Twitter. They are so – they do the thing that other people don't do. Like, Michigan pretended to be Purdue for two and a half quarters, 
against Michigan State, and then they couldn't keep doing it because they weren't they're not committed to it. Purdue's committed to Purdue lives in the same world as Michigan State. They're like, hey, we're or excuse me, as Mississippi State. They're like, we're gonna throw it all the time. We're just gonna throw and we're gonna throw. And guess what? We'll throw. So I love it. I love that though. I think they're I I but I also, you know what? I also love turkey. And so yep. that's yep. I love turkey, love Purdue. So we're good to go. Yeah, we're on the same page. Um, what, what you got, Chris? You got anything for us? Otherwise, we can get the last call. Real quick, uh, it, it's it, it's a smaller thing, but to keep the Thanksgiving thing, I'm going to go with Jello squares because they're the little piece of dessert that are not the main focus, but they're great when you pay attention to it. And that's UTSA football, which is now nine and zero after stopping UTEP 44-23 in El Paso. Their, these, their last four games, they've scored 44 points, 45, 45, 52. They've really got things rolling. They've got their coach sticking around. Um, they should be ranked in the college football playoff rankings that come out tonight. And we got a meet meep shout-out on succession. So going with UTSA and the Jello Squares. I love it. That's, that, I love UTSA. And watching Frank Harris over the last three seasons grow up, become a real deal, full-blown, like, I'm ready to rock and roll quarterback. Sincere McCormick is amazing. You throw in, what is it, um, Zachary, Zachary Franklin, and then um, Joshua Seafit. Like, these guys can play. They'll score. And their defense is really opportunistic, which is really fun. I love that. I think that's great. Um, Auerbach, do you mind if I take us in the last call? Because we've already kind of hit on it when we talked yeah, about the Yeah, Georgia, let's Tennessee. go. Our last calls, the rants and raves that we haven't yeah. hit yet. Tennessee had one of the best plays of the year. They didn't score a touchdown on it. They should have. I think the guy stepped out of bounds, but they ran quads. Quads is four guys to one side, and then they had a wing. wing. Wing was also set to the quad side. That's five guys to one side. Kentucky had no clue what was happening, and watching the Kentucky money player, like the way he was gesticulating about, guys, we need more people over here. We need you over here. Why get you're doing nothing. Get over here. It was really fun to watch. And then out of that play, they had a guy covered up that ran a, a bubble. They had another guy that ran a skinny. Another guy runs a skinny. And then that the the stack guy runs and out. Nobody covers him. The 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 guy covering the, the money player covering the flats is completely confused. It was a beautiful play. If you go back, what is this? Second quarter, I think 14-10. Check it out. I mean. If you don't, if you like football, go check that play out. That it, it was beautiful. All right, Chris, you got a last call? Gonna give out to two of them, Arizona and UNLV winning their first games of the season. Arizona beat a very short-handed oh, Cal yeah. team. UNLV beat New Mexico. There will be no winless teams in college football this year, and that's great. Everybody should deserve a win. Jed Fish got a Gatorade bath. Marcus Arroyo, the head coach at UNLV, hadn't won a game in two years as head coach, although yeah. they'd been really close several games this year. Um, always happy when everybody gets to celebrate a win. So yeah. shout out to Arizona and UNLV, and there will be nobody who didn't get to enjoy a win. After last year in a shortened season, there were like eight or nine winless teams. Yep. So it's great to see everybody get to enjoy at least one. It was, right. it was, it was awesome. Arizona was awesome. That was a really – they. I mean, I get Cal was shorthand, but – to be on a 20 game losing streak and have it in was really, really fun. Yeah. Absolutely. And in a, in a couple of these cases, 
people rush the field. Absolutely. You do, do you celebrate. Oh, I got it. I have it. I'll call a timeout. UNC rushed the field against Wake Forest. Mm, they did. Is that okay? Um, I could go either way on this one. I did. I do choose to be glass half full and say, look at how far Wake Forest has come <laughs> that a team is rushing the field by beating yes. you. The, the one that had, I, I was fine with it. It's an undefeated top 10 team in kind of a crazy game. Yeah. The one that I, I'm usually in favor of storming the field all you want. The one recent one that had me on the fence was Ohio State after beating Penn State, a Penn State team that had just lost to Illinois. Ohio State fans still went on the field. I get it, but also you're Ohio State and, I don't know, maybe save it for a better one. Um, let me, let's bring us home on a very personal last call hinted at this in the very beginning of the show, but you know, I've been getting a lot of crap the last few days because the sun is now setting at 4 30 PM and I love it. Listen, I don't know what you people want. Okay. Because people just want more daylight. So then we move the clocks up. So now there's some daylight in the morning and it helps everyone get up and people are happy about that. And you get that extra hour of sleep, which is why it's the hour back holiday. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves my dad's puns. It happens once a year. Everyone gets so excited. And then people get all upset because they forget that that first day, the sun is going to go down at like four 30. It's winter. What else are you going to do at night anyway? Just go home, start going to bed earlier, like cook dinner earlier, light a great candle. Like, come on. It's not going to make that much of a difference if the sun sets at five o'clock versus six o'clock. It's not my family's problem or responsibility. I acknowledge that it's part of the holiday. The holiday and the celebration is really the one night when time moves backwards and it's like a lawless hour. That's the fun part. And if anyone wants to give us credit for those for the sun in the morning, we'll take that too. But <laughs> I've just been getting a lot of crap about this. And listen, I, I only I just get a good candle, cook some good dinners, and go to bed early. I I my biggest issue is it's bright at six thirty, and I'm not getting up for another hour, so we're wasting an hour of daylight. Maybe you should become a morning person. Maybe I should. That could Maybe also day- be one of these lessons. Um, and we will wrap there because I just needed to get that off my chest, which is basically the point of the last call segment. Thank you for listening to this week's power hour. If you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a very special deal on an annual subscription. One true pod will be on this feed later in the week with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, and Sam Khan. They've got lots to get to. And then Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman will be, will be back later this week as always in their usual antics. Uh, for Chris Benini and Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Power Owl will be back next Tuesday. And we just want to thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.